your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Jesus said to his disciples, I have come to set the earth on fire, and how I wish it were already blazing. There is a baptism with which I must be baptized, and how great is my anguish until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to establish peace on the earth? No, I tell you but rather division. From now on, a household of five will be divided, three against two, and two against three. A father will be divided against his son, and the son against his father, a mother against her daughter, and a daughter against her mother, a mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning, everybody. Uh, before we dive into these amazing, amazing readings, just a few announcements. On the side of the pews there, you will notice there's flyers and envelopes. That's for next weekend, by the way. And so uh, feel free to take that flyer, read more about it. As you recall, every year we have a different missionary that comes to the parish asking for money. If you remember, last year we had an Indian priest that, that was raising funds for the church in India. And it was amazing. If you remember, we raised, just from our little parish, we raised about over $5,000, I think, if I remember my, my numbers correctly. And if you remember, Father was talking about the church in India. See, the Catholic Church in India, we're actually pretty tiny. We're over 20 million. But that's small compared to a continent or a country of 1 billion and if you remember the current government right now, they're uh, considered Hindu extremists, and they're launching a fierce persecution against the Catholic Church there. Because we run all the best universities, and, 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 and as minorities, we're easy scapegoats, and so they, they hold us up as, as, as these monsters. And even though the funny thing is, all these politicians, they study at our universities, and yet they use us as a means to, to hold their power, as politicians do, right, divide and conquer. And so, if you remember Father's stories in India, and so, uh, but this time, we got a missionary, a Mary Knoll missionary. Different missions throughout the world. She'll talk about their work in, in Kenya, Tanzania, Bolivia, on the U.S.-Mexican border there. And so, uh, that's for next weekend. And uh, please pray about it, brothers and sisters, if this is something you wish to support. And so, the flyers are yours, and again, that is next week. And then uh, secondly, you know, nothing listens more passion and argument than religion, politics, and the color of paint, right? And if you notice, if you walk the hall is painted, right? The hall is being painted. And uh, so Rudy and, and Josh have been painting the hall, fixing the hall because there needed to be a new coat of paint on there. It was damaged areas. But the whole goal, I know there's... When you paint something, there listens a lot of passions and opinions. But just the, the rationale behind it was to make the campus look more cohesive, to make the buildings more linked. And so that was the whole goal. And I told the hard, hide all the scuff marks, you know, the high school kids like hanging around our building. 
And uh, they love riding their skateboards and their bikes along the corridor here. Scuffs up our walls. So the dark paint hopefully hides it a little bit more. And so that's the rationale behind it. And, and whatever your opinion is, just know that red, the reddish color, is actually Jesus' favorite color. So uh, I, I'm just saying, if you don't like the color of the paint, you don't like Jesus. Just kidding. We don't know, color, we don't know his favorite color. But let's pray. Let's dive in. I love these readings. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Again, you're lucky. I, I kind of brought this up last Sunday as well, but you're lucky when you, uh, if you don't live in the town of, especially the proximity of Portola. Last week, if you remember, at 4.50 in the morning, when it's still dark outside, the air raid sirens started blazing. Right? Woke the entire center of town. 4.50 morning, completely dark outside, and especially when you hear all of a sudden air sirens, what do you, what's your first thought? You jump out of bed like, oh no, we're being bombed by the Russians, right? <laughs> the Germans are back, we're being bombed by the Germans, gotta get up. But as soon as that wears off, after that drowsiness wears off, you're like, oh no, the air raid sirens are going. What's going on? Because especially living up here in the woods, what is the first thing that comes to mind when you hear all of a sudden air raid sirens blazing? Fire. Right? Fire. Like, oh no, is Portola on fire? Do I need to start packing a bag? Do I got to find my dog? I got I to do something, right? Because it started blazing, you're thinking, and you hear no instructions, or you're just terrified, like, what's going on? But luckily, it was just a malfunction. It went on for 20 minutes, by the way. So can you imagine sitting there at 4.50 in the morning, like, what's going on? What am I going to do with myself? And so... But we have this fear, rightfully so. It's one of, it's the price of admission, so to speak, of living up here in such a beautiful part of California. As you all know, we live in a tinderbox, don't we? All of this, as we all know from the history of, even from last year, all of this can just go up in flames in a matter of moments. It's, it's not hard. But notice this idea of fire. Jesus speaks about it. He says, this is a great line. He says, I have come to set the earth on fire. And oh, how I wish it were already blazing. Notice the quality of fire. Notice now, we all know fire well. What does fire do? Why is it so scary? Because fire consumes everything in its path, doesn't it? It consumes it. In a sense, fire transforms whatever it comes in contact with. You know, if you, if you drove down to paradise this last year after the fires, if you drove down, it looked like a total wasteland. All burnt out, dark, homes destroyed. But if you drive there through there now, something amazing has happened, which is the other quality of fire. Fire also, amazingly, paradoxically, brings new life. It's amazing. Fire brings new life. If you drive down to paradise now, amazingly, you're starting to see little saplings growing, little trees starting to come up again, housing starting to be rebuilt slowly. 
and in about 200 years, <laughs> it takes a long time to rebuild. But new life is happening. So what is Jesus talking about? Why this language of fire? In the 5th century, St. Cyril of Alexandria, who was the bishop of the, of the major city of Alexandria, Alexandria at that time period was one of the major centers of Christianity. And St. Cyril was the bishop at that time period. And we have a lot of different writings from that period that he wrote. So he was writing a treatise to these new converts, those who had just were about to come into the church. And he wrote down some of the central dogmas of, of Christianity for them to help them learn and to understand their faith. And St. Cyril describes the Eucharist. Now, the Eucharist, you know that thing we do every Sunday. He described the Eucharist as divine fire. She loved that. He said, the Eucharist is divine fire. Now, what does Cyril mean about that? Now, it begins to, this mission begins to be penetrated when we first have to ask the question, what is the point of Christianity now? Because again, Christianity is not about just being nice. People aren't martyred for their Christian faith for being nice. Thousands and thousands of us aren't killed every year for being nice, by the way. Remember, we are the largest persecuted religion on earth, Christian, Christianity. Thousands of us die every year. Are they killing us because we're nice? No. So Christianity is a lot more than being nice. But rather, if you remember, what is the point? Christianity is all about what? Union with God. How does that happen? And right now, I, I hope to bring in different strands of, of our faith and, and tie it all into one cohesive uh, teaching. Remember, first of all, the Eucharist, we believe, is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ himself. And why the strange teaching? Look back from the very beginning. It's said in the book of Genesis that every single human being is created in the image and likeness of God. This is why, my friends, the whole foundation of the moral teaching of the church and how we relate to each other, that every single person has inherent dignity, inherent value, that every single one of us has worth, which, by the way, is which has built our entire system in the United States, too. Recall that every, if you recall in our founding documents, that every single person is endowed with certain inalienable rights from their creator, See, this is back from Genesis. The United States is built upon this fact that every single one of us has worth, value, creating the image and likeness of God. Huh? Image and likeness of God. Jesus reveals to us that God is a trinity. God is a union of persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Oneness, union. So therefore then, if you and I now are created in the image and likeness of God, then we are created for union now with God, aren't we? We're created for union with each other as well. We are designed and created for relationship, for oneness. But then what happens with Adam and Eve? Remember, so God creates Adam and Eve so that we may share in the union and in the very nature of God. That's why he created us, 
to participate, to share the life of the Trinity with Him, to be one with God. And then what happened? Original sin. The moment original sins enters into the world, separation now occurs between humanity and God. But not only that, separation between each other as well, right? Division enters into first time to the human family. We start fighting against each other. We start killing each other. We start destroying each other. And death enters into the world, doesn't it? Death enters in. What is ultimately death? Death is that separation between our loved ones and God. That union destroyed. And does God leave us in the mud like that? No. He calls now Abraham. He calls Abraham and says through him now God his followers will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. He calls Abraham our father in faith. Then all of a sudden, he calls Moses now. And Moses gives him the Ten Commandments, begins to form the Jewish people, right? The Jewish people, the chosen people, who uniquely has that relationship with him. And now, from the Jewish people would arise the Messiah. The Messiah from whom which the Jewish people would be, would be built upon. The Messiah will come out of that. And through him, Humanity will be reconciled with God. Jesus Christ is this Messiah who now becomes the bridge between divinity and humanity. And now here, we're, here comes the incarnation. In the person of Jesus Christ, he is both, remember, two natures, divine and human, but one in his very body. Through him now, we become one with God. And especially now, the pivotal moment, the beautiful event of, the, of Christ on the cross, through his death now, Jesus heals that chasm, that rift, that Adam and Eve caused from the very beginning. He heals this rift by shedding his blood and by dying, by showing humanity the greatest love, greatest act of love that we've ever seen, heals that division. And then beautifully, on the eve before he would do all of this, remember, we go back to the Last Supper. Gathered with the twelve, what does he say with them? Takes the bread, takes the wine, says, take this, all of you, and eat of it. This is my body. Taking the chalice, this is my blood. It becomes physically him. Again, why this teaching? And he sends them out. He says, after the resurrection now, in Matthew 28, he says, before he says up into heaven, he launches the church on mission, doesn't he? He says, now go out into the whole world, teach them everything I taught you, and baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Bring all of humanity back in union with me. And not only that, bring back the entire universe, all of the cosmos, all of the created order back in the union with God again. 
That is the mission of the church, to go out into the world, and that's why we have missionaries spread throughout the world risking their lives every single day. And this culminating teaching of the event, the source and summit of our faith, the Holy Eucharist, is truly Him. And it has to be a bodily reality. Why? Because you are a bodily reality. I am a bodily reality. I want to read you an excerpt. And be sure to grab a bulletin today, by the way. I, the, the whole thing, the whole quotes here. There, I want you to read a recent convert to Catholicism. And I love, I love converts, by the way. Because they teach us, especially for us that have been Catholic all our lives, they, they look at things in a fresh way. As, as converts tend to do, they, they, they tend to see something new and amazing, and they, they have a beautiful outlook, especially for us who so have been Catholic all our lives. Because what happens? Human nature. Whatever you, you, you've been given, you, human nature is, you take it for granted. Right? And that's why the beautiful thing about the United States, I, I don't know about you, but I love being an American because we have so, all these amazing freedoms. But what happens over time? We take it for granted. We forget that literally millions of people want to flock into the United States. I mean, that's what the whole big debate is. Right? People are risking their lives to come here. Why? Because all of the amazing things we get to have here, and the opportunities, and human nature, we take it for granted. It's part of our, our existence. And so look what he says, this guy I'm about to read you. He's been Catholic now for about three weeks. He writes, I have been pondering why becoming Catholic has been so powerful and humbling for me. I've joked with some close friends that the Eucharist is making me into a big crybaby. I've had more tears, knots in my throat, and the like the last three weeks than for a very long time. And it all comes down to this. If what the church says is true, then in receiving the Eucharist, a Christian goes beyond experiencing Christ in mere thoughts and sensations, but communes with Him on a level of being, in receiving the Eucharist, we thus receive Him, the whole Christ, a Christ who likewise is no mere spirit but a man, flesh and blood and divinity. In the Eucharist, the whole Christ gives His whole self to our whole selves, body, blood, soul, and divinity. In receiving this feast, we have the foretaste of total union with Him. No longer just in our thoughts or in our sensations, but at the ontological foundations of our very existence, the very core of our being, the part of us without which we would not be. Love it. Love it. Because he's speaking about how, because we are both body and soul, my union then with God must be a corporal bodily reality as well. We get our bodies back. We don't just worship God in spirit. There must be a bodily reality. You know, a couple of weeks ago, the Pew Research, it's a, it's a group that does all kinds of studies. If you keep up with Catholic media, it was making the rounds, and it, and it, it did a survey of the Catholics in the United States. And it asks, how many of you believe in this teaching? <coughs> what percentage do you think Catholics of the United States believe in this teaching? 
It was an abysmal 30%. 30%. The other 70% think it's just a symbol. But to be honest, I don't blame them. This teaching is hard. This teaching is hard. Because when you receive the Eucharist, what? You don't hear angels and choirs singing all of a sudden. You don't you all of a sudden start floating around after you receive Holy... You don't float back to your pew after you receive communion, do you? No. Maybe some of you do. Maybe Marilyn does. I don't know. She might float back to her pew. <laughs> but it just looks on, on the surface as bread. It tastes like wine. This teaching is hard. If you remember in John chapter 6, where Jesus teaches about the Eucharist, about this teaching... Only one time do the disciples of Jesus leave him based on one of his teachings. And it was precisely this teaching. When he says, my flesh is true food. My, my blood is true drink. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And then the vast majority of his followers left him. John chapter 6. The only time people leave Jesus based on his teaching was precisely in the Eucharist. So I understand when people say, this is a hard teaching. Why 70% of us do not accept it. This is hard. And that's why I love the line of St. Peter. He says, so the vast majority of his disciples left him, and then he turns to the faithful few that were still there, and he says in a beautiful exchange, will you also leave me? Because of this? And I love the response of Peter because he says, he doesn't say rather, oh yeah, I completely understand the Holy Eucharist. I get it, 100%. I totally understand it. No. He says, Jesus, you have the words to eternal life. Where else am I going to go? I love the recognition of that humility of Peter. My friends, what we do every single Mass is not a symbol, but it is Him. And I'm coming to the end, but I don't know about you, but I have a huge gaping hole in my heart. I have a huge gaping hole in my life. I thirst for union for intimacy, for love. I thirst for it. And no matter what, I stuff into this hole with more things, more stuff, more money, more power, more pleasure. Doesn't go away. Doesn't go away. It's still there. But every time I receive the Holy Eucharist, or every time I spend hours kneeling in prayer, I'll sneak in here because I have the key, right? I have the key to this church. I'll sneak in here. I'll just spend quiet time kneeling in front of Jesus the tabernacle. Every time I do those things, that gaping hole, that darkness inside me goes away just a little bit more. Goes away just a little bit more. That hunger goes away just a little bit more. You see, my friends, now do you see why as Catholics, the 
The Holy Eucharist is the source and summit of our life. Because in the Holy Eucharist, it is Jesus Christ Himself. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.